0: He emerges in Malkin. Two on two with Jared McCann. The drop pass. McCann as Tanev goes there. Tanev to the goal. Stop on the rebound. Score! And uh, welcome to Season 11, Episode 5 of the Sportscasters. We have a good podcast for you today. It is March. Alrighty. we have gotten to the month of March. And uh, it is March 7th, Sunday, as I record this today in Buffalo. And you should have it for the ride in on Monday or whenever you want to listen to it this week. And it's a good one. Joe Buck. Making his fifth appearance on the show will kick us off in a minute. And then Al Strachan, who told me in the interview that he is the Wayne Gretzky of hockey writers. Well, he said that someone told him that. He'll be on uh, to talk about his book that we've been featuring in the book club. And also, I want to mention just that that interview was recorded before the death of Walter Gretzky. So that's not covered, Uh, not because I didn't think to ask about it or not because Al was insensitive. It just hadn't happened yet. So that's the show today. Joe Buck, Al Strachan. We'll do the book club update, which has a new book, which includes a contest. So that's some books to give away. And then in the end, we'll do plugs and we'll do one last thing and that'll be that. But I guess first things first, we got to talk about the Sabres and we're going to do it quick. Not a lot to say, but the Sabres are a disaster. Uh, the Sabres were 4-4-2. Four, four, and two. They had played 10 games when COVID struck the team. Uh, they had a weekend with the Devils, where I think they won and lost one in OT. And I felt good about the team. They looked like a good team. There was a lot of good players. They seemed to be playing well. Uh, the games they lost, they were competitive in. Uh, The games they won, they were competitive in. They were getting goaltending. And then they took some time off. Now, since they've been back, they've lost 11 of 13 games, seven in a row. And in the last six, they've scored two or less. Eichel, Hall, and Skinner all have less than three goals each. Skinner has one. I think Eichel has two. I think Hall has two. I think that's it. Five total for those three. Now, Eichel's got darn near 20 points, but he's just not been the same Michael, Obviously, he's battling injuries. But the team is a disaster, and I loved the coach. I thought Ralph was a good coach. I thought he was the guy that could take this team back to the playoffs, but I'd be surprised if he lasts the week. I think it's over for Ralph. I think it has to be over for Ralph. And that's a shock to me. I thought, I almost thought in a way when the GM was hired, Kevin Adams, that it was sort of positioning the team to be Ralph's team more than anything. And uh, it's just, it's falling apart on Ralph. I mean, when you lose 11 out of 13 and most nights you're not competitive. They've lost six games to the Islanders. You know, he has some kind of personal issue with Jeff Skinner. It seems pretty obvious, at least. Some of his lineup decisions are questionable. Who's in the games bothers me a little bit more than where they're playing. Lines are so fluid that I try not to get too held up on that. But, man, what a disaster. At this point, after 23 games played, they have one less point than the team that was designed to tank for McDavid or Eichel. And of course, with losing, brings a whole nother round of Jack needs to be traded, Jack wants to be traded, all that nonsense. You know, everyone's down on Darlene, down on Jack, down on everything. And that's what happens when, you know, you're 6-14-3, you have 15 points, and that's two less than Ottawa, two less than Detroit. I mean, geez, four less than San Jose. Now, some of those teams, they have games in hand, some they don't. But wow, what a disaster. They have the least goals five on five in the league. They got a minus 23 goal differential, which is as bad as anyone except Ottawa. And Detroit. Yikes. Yikes. And it's too bad. You know, it's a great hockey city, and it's so fun when they're good. But not this year. And I, one thing I will object to, I see these things online when they talk about hiring Ralph. Who would want to go there? I think it's a good place to coach. It's a great hockey city. They have talent. They have a lot of talent. You know, it's not the roster isn't as bad as it usually is when the team has 15 points. You know, in 23 games, usually you're looking at a much worse roster than they are today. So I think it's an attractive place to coach. I love living here. Hockey people love living here. I know the ownership is a bit of a, a bit of a mess. I get that, but there's only 30 whatever of these jobs. And there's only going to be one available at the time they're hiring. So I think they can get someone down here if they want. Obviously, COVID complicates that. Uh, but that's nothing you can do. You can't do anything about it. There's already been two teams that have fired a coach this year, so it can be done. And unfortunately for Ralph, who I do like, it needs to be done. All right. With that said, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with Joe Buck. <laughs> Our first guest today went to Indiana University before leaving to turn pro in broadcasting and has since been the lead play-by-play man in baseball and football on Fox. He's a regular voice in our living room and a sixth, fifth-time appearer on the Sportscasters. A warm welcome to the great Joe Buck. Welcome back, Joe. Can't believe it's been five times. Uh,
1: the fact that you just told me that yeah, uh, blows me above. away. The leader. It means that I'm way too. I'm way too careless with my time.
0: I guess. <laughs> well, it has been almost three years though. So I, I got you in a nice. I, I had you in a cluster. I had you. You were like. You were like in every couple months, and then I kind of drifted away a little bit, and I got you back now. So we'll see. You might be number ten before you know it, if you let me.
1: Yeah. Well. Hey. <laughs> let's see. If, let's just see if there's a number six,
0: if you want it, <laughs> or if I want to do it. <laughs> It'll be you who wouldn't want to do it, not the opposite. Um, yeah. You never know you're in this now and it's, it's kind of good because it's just about a year. Right. I mean, you kind of started like just after the pandemic started and yeah, it, I think the time,
1: I think the time was actually kind of good uh, in a way. Um, it was bad on one hand because I feel like a lot of people listen to podcasts when they're yeah. uh, in transit. And for the longest time people were transiting nowhere and, um, but at the same time, a lot of the people that we've had on were looking for stuff to do and maybe not True. transiting themselves available. all over the world.
0: Yeah, people were Yeah,
1: so yeah. We, it was good to settle in. It's been fun. Uh, we took a break. We came back, and uh, I'm glad we do it. I mean, it's it's certainly nothing that you can really – we figured out how to monetize very well at this point. But I think, I think the idea of just being able to talk uh, free-flowing and, and not – uh, and not really worry about the constraints of time is, has been really good from my mind. If nothing else, it's almost like therapy. I, th- I feel like it's therapy for the guest, and I, if, if it's done well. And I think it's therapy for Oliver and me to, uh, uh, to just be able to kind of flush some stuff out and, and put it out there and kick it around. And, and people have really reacted to it, and those who listen to it really like it, so that's
0: good. Yeah. You know, since I started this, I've known maybe 10, 12, 15 people who started podcasts and that, you know, they know I do this, done it for a while. They'll come to me. And the one thing I always say is you got to, You got to know that you're doing it for you first. You know what I mean? Like, forget about anything else. You're doing it for you. And if if it gets to the point where you're not having fun doing it, it's going to die. So you have to, you know, just do it for you and like satisfy that part of it and worry about everything else later in terms of how many other people are listening or if you're monetizing or anything like that. Like that has to come later. First, you just, it's got you gotta want it. you gotta want to do it, right? I'm sure it's even more so someone with your schedule and commitments. And like, if you didn't want to do it, you'd be out. You have just too much else to do, right?
1: No, that's true. And and I think if I didn't, you know, not only if I didn't want to do it, but if if I didn't feel better after doing it, I don't know. It's a weird thing. I don't really, I don't really enjoy the thought of doing it prior to sitting down and actually recording something, but it's the same way I feel about going to see my therapist or you know, when I've had injuries, I've had a bad back and going through physical therapy. And my God, it's just like the worst thing in the near future when it's just you're getting closer and closer and you don't really want to go and you're driving slow and you're doing anything you can to kick the can down the street. And then once you get in there and you actually do it, you feel so much better afterwards. So it's, it's in that category for me. And, uh, Oliver Hudson and I have, we were, we were really good friends. We've become even better friends through this. I think I understand him a lot better and and he, me, uh, since we've done this. So there's a lot of benefits. and, And again, you know, we've had nothing but great feedback. We've had great guests. We've had great reviews, which, you know, it doesn't always happen and, uh, so for all that, I'm thankful that that it's reviewed well, and it's something that I don't feel like it's uh, a put on. It, it's just as natural and as normal as I can be.
0: There was a time where I was like, and you know, I'm a big Pearl Jam guy. And there was a time when I was like, man, you know, maybe someday, maybe I could get Mike. I could play the Crohn's angle. You know, maybe I can track him down through the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. You know, like, but you know, this is never going to be a medium that. Vetter's gonna be into and I appreciate guys like you, Simmons, his own daughter, a lot of different people breaking them down. Even Stern, like the Howard Stern show, to be honest, is a podcast now. I mean, it's not even barely live anymore. Right. You know what I mean? It is a podcast basically now. Um all these guys it seems like he's taking to the platform a little bit and man, he's done some long ones. He was in two hours with Simmons. About two hours with you, almost three hours with Howard. Over an hour with his daughter. I don't know. Like it seemed like he's he's again. I think it's the time thing a lot. You know, I think for all rock and rollers, for sure, they're looking for stuff to fill their time a little bit because they're so used to being on the go and touring. But a couple things. About, yeah. Well, when, yeah, the, when the when the
1: pandemic hit, they were about to go on tour. Oh, and, believe uh, me, I know.
0: <laughs> I yeah.
1: know. <laughs> no, I know. And, and, and I had uh they were in that they were on their tour. It was going to be Nashville, then St. Louis. So my buddy and I were going to fly to Nashville and then we were going to come from Nashville to St. Louis. So I was going to try to uh, goad Eddie into coming with us uh, up, I guess, North uh, to back to St. Louis. And, you know, he, he was going to come into town two summers ago for this birthday party that my wife threw me and, and I, and, but he is busy. And I think when this thing hit, I think you're right. I I think he's had a lot of time to reflect. I know that he's cleaned out different parts of his house that has led him to find things that he didn't know uh, he still had in his garage and uh, you know, old tapes and things that he put together um, when he was a young guy. So um, I, I think it was a timeout for everyone. that's right. what the pandemic was. Yeah. it was a timeout for it was a timeout for me it was a timeout for our family in a good way. i mean, I, I think if there were any silver linings in that whole mess and and I know it continues to this day and while people are definitely fighting for health and people have lost loved ones and and I'm aware of all that one of the if there is a silver lining, it was You know, for me, having my daughters back in town Uh, and having them be around their their little brothers and time with the family and people, you know, actually going to a family dinner and looking at each other in the eyes and the phones were down. And and it was that part of it was kind of like life in the 1950s around here. And um, You know, I I was I was thankful on one hand for having some idle time and, you know, all that's up against what we were all up against which was wondering what the hell was next in in this twisting turning pandemic so you know somehow i was able to stay healthy with uh with my travel schedule which i i thought was an impossibility uh before the season started and doing 39 games between mid october and the third week of january and testing twice a week and and just wondering when I was going to get a positive test and it never came. And I, I may get a positive test tomorrow. I don't know, but I, sure. to get through that season and, and to, you know, come off that time where everybody was looking at each other, like, what are we going to do? Well, we might as well just really enjoy each other's company. Uh, there, I, th- I think, you know, it wasn't all a waste and, uh, that, that's really the only way I can look at it. And I think that's the way Eddie looks at it or anybody else. Cause we're all just
0: humans trying to get along yeah i just got my letter from my doctor saying i can get the shot now you know like i can kind of jump the line because of my pre-existing conditions and so you an know, it's just a matter of finding sure. the shot but it's like i would be so frustrated i'm sure you probably feel the same way like if you get that get through that much of it you know it's got to be so frustrating even more so to get it now you know what i mean especially if you've been careful and diligent like oh i think about that i've thought about that like all week like oh my god if i if it if if the virus beats me to the shot, I'm gonna be pissed. You know what I mean? That no, would,
1: that's a that's a <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I think about that all the time. Like, I can't tell you how much. And and I thought about this. You know, I I wonder how much the constant hum of this virus and wondering, you know, if if we're being as cautious as we can be and as safe as we can be. I wonder how much added stress that put on all of us during this time. And, you know, my mom had it, had the virus. My daughters have had it. Um, you know, I've, I've, a, a lot of people around me have had it.
0: Yeah. My brother, Thankfully,
1: haven't lost anybody to it. Um, but my 81 year old mom was, was not good for a long time in October when I was gone in Texas doing baseball playoffs and world series. You know, that's when you, when that stuff becomes real, And, uh, I'm with you. I mean, I'm, I'm like, man, we're at the bitter end of this thing with vaccines theoretically becoming more and more available. And that's been my big frustration that, man, I, the communication for the vaccine and and how, when, where, and why we're going to get it. I I don't know but I can't speak for you, but I've signed up on every website I can find (laughs) and the communication back. Has been almost non-existent so I, I just can't believe we can't roll this thing out better Than
0: we have
1: but uh, whenever it's available I will sprint to go get it and uh, Same. Look back on a, on a long year
0: Yeah and I think you know it was unfortunate in a way like regardless of who you Were for you know it, it probably wasn't the best time to switch administrations in the middle of, In terms of the rollout itself you know like regardless of who you were for I'm sure that's part of why um you know it hasn't been as clean maybe as we would have hoped you know maybe there was mistakes made before the transition maybe after I don't know either way but I think we are finally getting to the point where you know I think the latest projection is by May there should be enough doses to match arms that want doses you know and it's like I'm sitting here in March the letters on my table in the other room and all I can think about is like man if I can't beat the virus you know, can't get the vaccine before the, I'll be really, ma- I'll be really mad. I'll be really, really, really mad. But what are you going to do? Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. no,
1: but that, that that's well said. I mean, I think no matter where you come down on the political spectrum, which is about as polarizing yeah. as it's ever been in the history of this country or maybe anywhere um, you're right to have this pandemic hit in the final year of one administration, prior to the first year of another administration and kind of the handing off, I I think I'm sure just naturally speaking stuff gets lost in the transition and, uh, and that's too bad. So, you know, my mom's gotten the shot. She's the only person in my immediate, uh, family or really circle friends. yeah, Yeah. That have had the vaccine and, uh, she had a reaction to it. It went away after a day, and uh, I, I sleep a little better knowing that, that she's vaccinated against it.
0: Yeah, I have an 86-year-old grandmother. She got it, and my mother got it as well because of her work in the school, so she was able to get it when she did. She's had both. My grandma's had both. Like you said, they both, the second shot, I think the first 24 hours, they didn't feel that great, but like you said, kind of got over yeah. it quick, and- and the hard thing was for my, my grandmother, who's 86, like to me, she's the boss. Right. Like, I don't tell her what to do, you know, and with the whole covid thing, um, you know, in the beginning, I was saying like, OK, well, I can't go see my grandmother, you know, like, God forbid. And that was OK with her for a week or two, you know, and then she's on the phone saying like, no, you don't get to decide that I decide that, you know, you get my yeah. great granddaughter over here, you know, you get over here. And that was that was hard for me because, you know, I'm I'm saying to her like, well what if something happens to you and blah, blah, blah. And you just can't, you know, you can't, and it's not my place to tell her. She's the boss I don't tell my grandma what to do. You know what I mean? So I'm just glad now that that's over, you know, like now she's vaccinated and all that. I don't worry as much, but wow. I mean, I
1: imagine there, there's gotta be some gigantic sense
0: of relief
1: when you, when you're on even on the list, let alone when you get it. Um, So I, I haven't experienced that yet, but you're right. I mean, I, everybody had to make personal decisions. We all make them every day. We all weigh weigh the, uh, the risk reward and you're, you know, you're your own human being and you're your own citizen. So it's, it's up to you to make the best decisions you can. And, and I, you know, we stayed, I, I still went around my mom, uh, prior to her getting the virus. Um, I still, you know, every day is precious and, and I'm not saying that, I was perfect with it, but I, I tried to be as smart as I could and as realistic as I could with how I inter- interacted with family. Now, if, if it wasn't family, I, I was really good about um, staying away from large gatherings, from from uh, you know being sure. around uh, high leverage situations where I, I could have been uh, I could have been in danger of contracting the virus, but at the end of the day, I mean, I think unless you just shut yourself down in your house for 12 months, at some point you were probably exposed to it and uh, you either got it or you didn't. And thankfully up to this point, I haven't had it and we'll see
0: what tomorrow brings. How did you do like getting through the season? Like I talked to Kenny Albert where, you know, we were talking and he thought, you know, he said that he just, he felt safe, that everything that was put in made him feel safe. And, comfortable and i know he's another guy works a ton especially right around when you were working a ton i don't know similar experience for you or was it different like how did you feel was there any protocols you felt were too much any you felt were not enough like how did you feel like getting through it you know in your 39 days or whatever was the you know that big chunk there or even beyond that
1: yeah i i felt i felt fine i guess um You know, I had a taste of doing games both ways. I had a taste early on in, I guess it was July, of doing baseball games remotely, which has its real negatives and and has its positives. And I think during a pandemic, the positives are you can really limit where and and how you're exposed, uh, theoretically, to a virus like that. I mean, you can really control your environment that way, and you can... Right. Get in your own car, go down to a studio, walk in the studio, really be around nobody else. Put the headset on, do the game, put the headset down and go back in your car and go home. And I think there, you know, there was real value in that. And then as the season wore on, you know, we weren't any more protected against the virus. Uh, so then it was just a matter of testing twice a week. I felt like the testing was good. I felt, uh, you know, nobody on our crew got it. Um, one camera operator got it that hangs out in the booth and our, uh, one of the support people got it and that's it. So I didn't, I didn't have it. Troy never had it. A producer director, our info guy, our stat guy, my spotter, nobody had it. Um, that was in our traveling crew and we had to basically test to get into the stadium to go to work. Um, so I felt along those lines, like, man, you know, we're doing everything we can The other side of it is, okay if I feel okay and I test positive walking into whatever, uh, the Superdome and and they tap me on the shoulder and say, you're a positive test. You're not doing the game. Who's doing it? How do they do it? And, And if there's contact tracing, well, I've been in a car with Troy riding from the hotel. I've been on a plane with Aaron and our producer and director, so is everybody gonna sit out? And if that's the case then how do we even cover the game? it's right. the day of the game. And and we we never got to that, which I was stunned that that, that never came up over all those games, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. And uh so I, I felt good. I, I did all I could. I, I was honest with the way I went about my work. I was honest with the way I tried to really limit my exposure. And then after that, if you get it, you get it. And, uh, you know, fortunately, nobody got it. It was weird doing games with empty stadiums for the most part. Um, I would say the last game we did, which was Tampa Bay at Green Bay for the NFC champ game, is the only game that felt semi-normal because of the crowd size at Lambeau Field. Otherwise, you know, if it was a question of do my eyes Get overridden by my ears because in my headset they put full crowd noise. Right, you're pumping crowd noise and in. Yeah, we were. Yeah, so we had crowd noise, and and even if you were not seeing a crowd, if your ears and your brain felt like there was a full crowd there because of that sound, it kind of overrode what my eyes were telling me, which which was I was standing in basically a totally empty stadium watching guys play football. So was a weird study with how my brain and my senses work and for the most part it felt pretty damn normal doing games even though nobody was there which i i never would have expected that would have been the case
0: you know i was thinking about this the other man the other day in the beginning of this season there is this little i don't know if you saw this but um kyle Brandt, who's really pretty great at his thing he does on um on the NFL Network, that show there. Sure, Uh yeah. He had put out a tweet saying, like, that he was disappointed in some of the people who work in football, some of their tweets. I forget how he put it, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but general thing is his general point was, like, why are these people seemingly rooting against football that work in football? And one of the people who pushed back on him was Stuart Mandel, and it just so happened that that week Stuart was on my show and we were talking about it. And I was just saying from my perspective, I was like, Here's the only thing I'll say is that I know that I just saw a stat that the percentage of coverage of COVID to the to that point had been in the ninety percent in terms of negative coverage versus positive coverage, um, and when you were talking, I was thinking like I wonder if we're consuming the negative coverage all the time. I wonder if that kind of clouds our perception of the reality a little bit. You know, you, you like you said, you would have never believed you could have gotten that way. But I wonder if I wonder if it was more likely to be that than it was not and that we're just so conditioned through the way we can, we consume the news about this that that we lean to that perception. Do you know what I'm saying or no? Did I blow that? I was trying to No, yeah,
1: no. Yeah. I, I I totally understand what you're saying and I I, I think I agree. I think if you were you know, it doesn't matter what news channel you prefer no. and and i think wh- wherever you flip it to kind of tells a lot about your own politics and i'm kind of in a i i need i need more of a middle option uh in my life than sure and what seems to be out there these days um but yeah i think if you're bombarded by you know, like CNN has a constant like running death toll right. on the side of the screen. And and if you're seeing that over and over and over again and then it's like, okay, bye, I'm leaving for the airport and I'm going to uh or Tampa Bay and I'm gonna be in Florida and then I'm gonna be in the hotel and, and Florida's so and terrible, right? Planes, All the news on Florida. Florida, you know, they're, so not yeah. they're not doing anything. so yeah, I think the more you hear that, the more you think well, my numbers got to come up at some point. So I probably fell victim to assuming the worst, but, but I, I don't know that that's so bad. I I don't know that assuming the worst doesn't at least keep you as vigilant as possible. Yeah. I I think, I think there's something to be said for that. So maybe in the end, the net of it is good. Um, so what if I thought that it was going to be hard to get through the season personally without contracting COVID? Um, I, I think maybe that perception led me to be as vigilant as I was, and maybe that helped me get through the entire season with all those games without getting it. I don't know. I mean, it's. I, I, th- I think the net of it is probably positive, and uh, it's okay to deal with that stuff in your own mind and on your own time. But if that allows you to stay as healthy as possible so that you can go and do your job, which was always my, I don't, I've never missed a game. I've never missed a game. Knock on wood because of and you battle through some shit outside. I've, I've de- I dealt, I've dealt with, you know, my yeah. fair share, yep. including a paralyzed vocal cord for the better part of eight months. and, you know, I, I didn't miss a game. So, I And that's kind of the way I grew up with my dad. Like, no matter what, you go do that game. I don't care how bad you feel. I don't care what your fever is. I don't care how bad your throat feels. If you have laryngitis, I've done games where, you know, awakened in that morning with laryngitis and I had to go get a steroid shot just to do an NFC championship game in Philadelphia. So I was always worried about not fulfilling my duty to do the game. And somehow, you know, whether it's because I was so concerned about that and contracting the virus that i I really was good about limiting my exposure you know i I didn't miss any games and uh it's a crapshoot it was a crapshoot for everybody it still is until you get the vaccine in my mind and and uh you know so far so good
0: last year at this time i was in disney with paula family you know what i took paula to disney write a passage kind of a thing. And when we landed, I think we landed like February or March 8th or 9th, something like that. And uh, I remember I turned to my wife on the plane. I said, okay, it's Pearl Jam time. You know, I did that. Now it's my time. I had three shows. It wasn't a lot relative to my normal, just the routing, whatever. I had three shows in 15, three shows in the next 15 days when it got axed. Ugh, three is uh, – yeah. It's like if it could have held I, out 15 days, I would have had three more shows. in. you know what I mean? It's like, ugh. And they were one yeah, of the I mean, first yeah, things I, to go. You know, so it was a blow, because you weren't worse. You weren't used to everything being blown out just yet. They were at the very beginning of things being. They canceled, were. You know?
1: I I feel like they were one of the first bands. It's just the timing say, of it. Yeah, it's just the that's t- it. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, because the timing of it was yeah. such.
1: That they were about to launch a tour, and then they were in Seattle. Which right,
0: Washington was the first was spot. Kind
1: of, yep. Yeah, that was one of the first hot spots with the uh, retirement homes and the you know whatever. So I, I think everything conspired against them, and and I'm sure if I haven't talked to Eddie or anybody even in that business in in a in a long time, but I, I don't know what they're being told as far as you know, doing shows, live shows and, and what the, you know, the the risk reward is there. And, and if if any of these communities are going to let people really congregate to the point where it's worth it for them to, to go back on tour anytime soon, I, I would imagine the answer is it isn't.
0: Yeah. I think for a band that is as cautious as they are, I bet that they're still a year away or half a year away at least, you know, like they've already lived through, one thing that you know what i mean like what they i just the way they are you know what i know about them in terms of and what i know is just what everyone knows but maybe a little bit more yeah i mean they're, yeah. they're
1: not the kind of guys that they're are not
0: risk takers caution to the yeah, wind no and it would be counter to everything that they say publicly so yeah i i think and they're not going to do like a 60 percent show somewhere like they're gonna they're not gonna do it until you can do it all the way right i mean at least that's my opinion um I agree. You know what would be really cool is if by accident one time you add me to the um Springsteen Buck Vetter text chain. Like if it just happened just by accident? Yeah, like if you, you know, sometimes you click around wrong, like maybe one of the boys has your phone and he, he's in there and I my name gets in there somehow. like Is that well, your I mean,
1: I don't want to I don't want to mislead. I, I this is uh it's more during kind of big events that i'll be texting with eddie and then he will relay something that Springsteen said to him back to me while i'm doing the game so it's not like a multiple text chain kind of a thing it's it's more port to port one to one so i i don't
0: want you to be misled thinking that this is a big group uh big group text thing i love the boss but i'm honestly i'm just in it for the better part anyway so that's all right that's something you mentioned yeah. when you had him on. Oh, I know why you're there. I know why you're there. <laughs> uh, the, I uh, I wrote and deleted about thirty different text messages after that interview to you about what I thought of it, and then in the end, I'm like, he doesn't care what I think about it. You don't need to tell Joe Buck. Well, about yeah, I it. do. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I. It's like he was on a lot of different shows. So, like, um, like the Stern one, for example. It was, it was, eh, uh, to me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like. You got him that long, like he had so much time and it was, he did really great on the Cornell stuff. I thought, you know, like I thought he was the first one to kind of take Ed there, you know, but I thought he could, yeah. could have gone a little bit farther. I mean, who am I to tell Howard Stern how to interview, right? What a ridiculous thing to even say out loud, but just as a fan, like, and I appreciated they saved the politics till the end and there wasn't a lot of it, you know, cause I just, I'm so much interested in almost everything else about Eddie than that. And, but I did think he had an interesting angle about his friendship with Ramon and him being conservative. So I did it kind of like that. thought that one's okay. Simmons, I thought him with Jeff and Ed was pretty pretty good. And then you guys, you know, I guess my only thing was that, you know, there was maybe just 10, 15 minutes too much on the father stuff. And I know that's kind of what, that's what the podcast is. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. Like, anyone who's going to get that kind of time with them. You know, they're going to go their own way. I'm sure someone listening to this thinking, like, oh, you got 30, 40 minutes of Joe Buck. Like, what are you talking about this for? So I understand that part of it. But, no, I mean, I I, yeah, I, I mean, enjoyed it's, it. It's impossible It's impossible to
1: satisfy everyone, Yeah, uh, especially when you're talking with uh, somebody like Eddie Vedder, Um because there's so many different ways you can go. I I think the one thing, you know, since our podcast is called daddy issues, it was incumbent upon us to to go there and to, to go back over some of the stuff that he's told me privately. The hard thing is when you interview a friend as opposed to somebody that you really don't know, um, it's tricky and and i i can't act like you know we're he and i are going camping anytime soon so it's it's not like we're (laughs) best best friends so i have to somewhat tread a little bit lightly and i don't want to insult him and he's nice enough to come on so you know when you're asking for a favor to get somebody's time like that you don't want to turn at least personally, I don't want to turn it into something where you're leading him into areas that's just going to become what you and I have texted about, which is clickbait. And sure. I wanted to have just a a real open, free-flowing conversation. I didn't have really any preconceived notions. I didn't have an outline. I didn't have anything that, that I wanted to get to uh, any more than kind of following where the interview was leading. And I think one of the one of the downsides of podcasts is they can they can get rambly and they can go into areas where it's like, can we just cut that out? You know, can sure. we take that away? Yep. And, but, but at the end of the day, it's like, I'm not going to cut out anything that the guy said because he's Eddie Vetter. So I, <laughs> it's just a lot of, a lot of different places to step and not step. To and ask you, got and not ask. you got great stuff.
0: You got great stuff out of him, like with the CD with his dad singing on it and everything you cover there. Like, you got great stuff. Like, I remember my daughter was in swimming when I was listening to it. I think I did text you a couple of times. I was lingering again. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, it it was great. Like, it, like, what I will say about the one with Simmons, the one with Howard, the one with you, the one thing I did appreciate is none of them were at all alike. You know what I mean? There was no redundancy between the third, between the three. You know, I think the one I'm waiting to hear, um, I guess what I'm looking for because of the level of fan I am and how long I've been a fan and what I know, I'm just waiting for that perspective. Like, like I think people think fans want to know, like, oh, when's the new album coming out or when there's going to be a show or something. It's like, yeah, we want to know that. But we kind of know or have a general sense of those things. Like, I want to know, know more about, like, the origins of songs or, like, the sure you know yeah. certain moments that they shared together or why they made certain decisions so i'm kind of waiting for that interview with him you know and each one of them ha- had a little bit of that you know and i when they when you guys would be there i'd be like okay okay let's stay here let's stay here let's stay here you know and then howard's like so you and joey Ramone fought over politics and i'm like no 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 go back you know like but,
1: right yeah. no and i get that i mean it's And it's not to, not to totally switch gears, but it's kind of like doing baseball in 2020 or 2021. Uh, When October rolls around and you're doing a world series, you have to make decisions. uh, And at least I do, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but this is the way I look at it. Like if, if you're doing a game in October you've got to believe that you have a few more of the casual fans involved in watching the game than you would, let's say uh, a Tuesday night in June sure. uh, where you yep. can, you have time and you can get down into the weeds and you can go into analytics and you can talk about war and you can talk about, you know, uh, launch angle and spin rate and all this other stuff. But by the time October rolls around, you've got to paint with a broad paintbrush. And that's the way I look at it. And that may be wrong, but I I don't feel like that's the time. That's like a general storyline. Who's on the bench? Who's in the bullpen? Who's hot? Who's not? What's the guy's batting average? How many RBIs? If you start going down the rabbit hole of spin rate, launch angle, all this other stuff, I feel like you alienate more uh, than you endear yourself to a smaller portion of the audience like if 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 people are dying for that there's ways to get that sure but but you have to talk to the biggest the widest uh section of the audience that you can and and when that changes then then i you know i'm I'm not the guy i'm not the guy to do that so i i think you know those are the times for for trying to cast the biggest net get the biggest tent put up and bring as many people under it for the for the good of the game as possible. And that's the way I've always approached it. So doing any of these interviews, you know, to get down into the weeds of the process on, you know, let's go back and what were your thoughts when you wrote daughter or whatever, you start going down these really tiny, narrow passageways I think for you, you're freaking out and loving every second of it. And for the vast majority of people, they're like, "Okay, what's next? I'm I'm not interested in this." So it's you, you gotta you gotta speak to the most people you can.
0: And Cameron Crowe had the same thing, right? Like when he made Pearl Jam Twenty. Like I love Pearl Jam Twenty; it's great and all. And I love to show it to people who are just casual or not really fans. But you know, when it ended, I kind of stood up and, and the first thing I thought was like, "All right, well, I don't know." I knew all that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking Cameron Crowe was going to tell me. Like, he said what he should have. Um, you know what I was going to say about the baseball thing? And, like, becoming someone who has lingered enough to consider you someone I, I feel like we're a fr- friends on some level. Again, probably like you said, like, I don't expect you to invite me camping or whatever. But, um, you know, I'm a Joe Buck defender now. And one thing I always say, and I think it was kind of like what you said. And, and maybe this point has been made. Maybe it's not this – great point i think i'm making or whatever but especially with baseball and i think it's where people got on the wrong foot with you you what like when you love your team when you love your baseball team let's see your yankees fan you watch you you spend 162 games with that team all summer you know spring summer into the fall every day and when you watch those games regional networks radio it's the homerest of homer broadcast because that's what we love about baseball broadcast right and then we get to the playoffs the biggest game of the year, and boom, we got a guy playing at 50-50 down the middle. And all of a sudden, 50-50 down the middle sounds 75-25 or 85-95. And that's how you get all that Buck hates the Yankees. Like, Game 7, right right, right before Altuve hit that home run, the, the now controversial t-shirt, or don't take my jersey off, home run, I opened Twitter up, and I found as many tweets of people saying, Joe Buck hates the Yankees as Joe Buck hates the Astros. It was yeah. 50-50, and it all stems from – well, of course, because all year these people are watching lopsided homework broadcasts that we love in baseball, right? And now all of a sudden, the biggest game of the year, and like you're not cheering for the Yankees. What the hell happened? He must hate us, right? I don't know. Is, is that exactly. a real obvious – No, that that's exactly it. No, that's, that's it, and
1: it's well said, and I could do seminars on this because it, it also – involves a director like I've talked to I used to do the Cardinal broadcast when I did the Cardinal broadcast and I was paid in essence by the Cardinals well I mean how do you think it's going to sound it's going to sound like everything the Cardinals do is great and everything the other team does uh was uh, you know was shouldn't have happened and oh my god I can't believe the Cardinals just gave up the lead or whatever if you if you tune on if you tune in any game you hear the hometown announcers and this is their job so i'm i'm not criticizing it cuz i did the same thing and that's how you have to do it but if the opposition hits a home run it's like oh that ball's going to go and that puts the Marlins on top 5 to 4 here in the sixth but if you're doing it on network tv well you've got to get excited for that right. Right? and and you've got to you've got to you've got to rise to the to the level of the moment and you're not Vocally crestfallen because one team just gave up the lead. You've, you've got to play it both sides. And so you're right. It's the same with directing the game. If a, a director, I talked to Tom Mee, who does the Cardinals broadcast, but he also does a lot of national games. And he's like, when I'm doing the Cardinal broadcast, in a dead moment, I'll shoot the Cardinal bullpen, I'll shoot the Cardinal dugout, I'll shoot the Cardinal fans eating popcorn. It, it, but a national director, we'll split that all up. I'll shoot the Mets bullpen. I'll shoot the Cardinals bullpen. I'll shoot the Mets fan eating popcorn. I'll shoot the Cardinals fan eating popcorn. So it's just an entirely different thing. And it's when people care the most. So I know that from hockey. I mean, I'm a, I'm an, I'm a diehard blues fan, and it's the one team I can openly root for. It's a one team I pay money to, to, to for season tickets and nobody's going to tell me I can't root for them. But when they're playing in a Stanley Cup final with some of the best broadcasters known to man, I I want to hear my local guys doing it because that's how I've listened to them all year long. And if the Blues score, they're screaming and yelling. And if the Blues give one up, they're mad, they're frustrated, they're sad, they're dejected. That's how I'm watching the game. So it's, I mean, that's exactly what it is. And it becomes almost like it's not personal because it, it really has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the idea that it's different than they hear all year long. So back in the day, when I was a kid, I mean, there weren't 158 games on TV for the team that I followed, St. Louis. And and when the game of the week showed up, it's like, oh, my God, Vin Scully and Joe Gargiola are going to talk about the Cardinals on national TV. Well, now TV's not a big deal. It's every night. Right. So it's just it's an entirely different mentality doing a national game compared to a local game. And you know, it, whenever I'm done, it'll be the same thing for the next person or people that are in there doing it. And so you just have to brush it off and not care
0: and not look at the count on Twitter. Cause it just doesn't matter. Yeah. And if I was a Yankees fan and I watched the 96 world series against the Braves and I had got my first taste of that annoyance, right? Like, Man, this is the first time the Yankees have won since, you know, what, 82 or whatever it was. I want to hear Sterling yeah. flipping out. I want to hear ball game over, World Series over. You know, I don't hear all that. I'm annoyed. You know, now by 2018, 2020, 2021, it's... I got a little annoyed in '96. I got a little more annoyed in '98. A little bit annoyed in '99. Then they were in right. it again in 2000 and 2001, and then you know 2009 and all the CSs. And then when I turned football on, and it was the Giants game, it's like, oh, there's that guy that hates the Yankees. He's calling the Giants now, and all of a sudden I'm on Twitter right. saying I hate Joe Buck. He hates the Giants and the Yankees, you know?
1: Right. Which couldn't be. And and just to step back and look at it logically. If if I work at any network and a New York team yes, is good, the Yankees, yes. Well, let me uh, yeah. let me just let you in on a little secret. <laughs> uh, I may be guilty of having a if really for any big market team: Boston, check; uh, Chicago, check; Yankees, check; Dodgers, uh, San Francisco, yeah. Dodgers, yeah. check. Like and and then once they get in. Hey, whatever, but, but just logically speaking, do you think the Yankees be having their kind of this golden era with Jeter and the core four and all that, right? When Fox got baseball, do you think that was probably good for the network? I'd say, yeah, that was good for Fox and whatever's good for Fox is good for me. So,
0: you know, and
1: again, Red Sox, Yankees, like when that happens, back you know 0304 it's like man you just you just wash your hands and go may the best team win because these are two major markets going at it and all we really root for are great ratings and great long series. And beyond that, I don't care who wins or loses. Right. And, you got and it two years
0: in a row in that case, right? 03, 04, both yeah, seven games. Yeah. And they were unbelievable. Two classics. Yeah. I
1: mean, classics. They
0: were unbelievable. Yeah. They were
1: both, I think they were both seven games. Yep. I both mean, obviously 04 was, but 03 yep. was seven and, games. Yeah. And that was Aaron Boone's yep. home run off Wakefield. So, I mean, that's 14 games of gold. Yep for the network and yet it's like Yankee fans or Red Sox fans like you hate
0: or no actually it's the opposite but uh that's just if you want to go on believing that go ahead the sportscaster here with Joe Buck finishing up I guess we're not talking about calls today we missed we we got on on other stuff um two quick things and I'll let you go um I gotta get I gotta get something in real quick to my PR PR department get ready this is the stuff I want you to type up um (laughs) <laughs> uh, Tony Romo, he uh, he did a good thing for broadcasters last year, I think, and he made a ton of cash. And um, the first person that's going to have to deal with the reality of that is CBS, right? With Nance now. Yeah, and I th- yeah. I think you're you're after that, right? Like, how into that do you get? Like, do you, are you are you following this? Are is this? Because I'm curious. Like for me, I'm following it. I'm a media nerd you know like i grew up on rudy Martsky. i bought the usa today every monday and the first thing See i that, did was, you and
1: i've never you and i have never talked about it i how old are you i am 40 so i mean that that blows me away i mean i'm 51 but for you to even know who Rudy Martzky is and, or was <laughs> He's one of my heroes <laughs> is mind blowing to me. And I, 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 have always said a great 30 for 30 would be about Rudy Martzky because for those who don't know, he wrote on the third page of USA today sports, which USA today was ev- in everybody's hands yep. for the longest time, especially on Monday, definitely on Friday, and but Friday. really on Monday. Yep. I bought it every Friday and Monday for 20, 20 well, years, I, I was aware of him when my dad was doing the big game on CBS with Tim McCarver in 90 and 91. And I would rip that. I was the only kid in college with the USA Today subscription. And I got it because of Martzki. And he used to hammer, hammer my dad. Oh, no, did he? And every, oh, my God. Oh. It was horrible. And every Monday I'd get that I'd run up to the, So wherever the hell they dropped it off. And I would grab that thing and rip it open. And I would just fume with him just, just filleting my dad. And this was the most powerful non in the business guy (laughs) of of all time, because what he said, yeah, what he, what he said kind of was adhered to by network executives. And, and he couldn't, Totally get you fired, but, man, he could help. And he couldn't totally get you a raise or get you hired, but he could help. And so, Martsky was great to me when I started out. And I don't know if that was guilt for how he was to my dad, but <laughs> it was awful. Wow. So, I, to answer your question, I, I really don't. I, I think Tony, in my opinion, Tony came along at the perfect time. And he did something that really, to this day, really puts him in his own category in that he didn't come into the business right off the field trying to sound like everybody else. He didn't come off did his own trying thing. to sound like he did his own thing. It was yep. almost like, and, and and he's a friend of mine. I mean, it was almost like he had never watched a game before in his life because I think you would typically get off the field and go, okay, how did Aikman do it? How did Madden do it? How did, you know, right on down the line, everybody and Collinsworth, everybody but he was he just came into it fresh and was like I I'm just going to blurt out things and I'm going to look ahead and I'm going to see who's covering the tight end and I'm going to I'm basically going to do this game like I would try to look at it if I was playing the game. So he comes along and he goes I guess it was 3 years somewhere in there and then ESPN has been dying for somebody to come in there and help Monday Night Football and CBS didn't want to lose him so he was in a perfect position. So I I don't know that those circumstances are ever going to present themselves again, where it lines up, where you have two suitors for one person, and then the price went through the roof. But good for him. I mean, I, sure. I don't, I don't begrudge that at all. And uh, you know, whatever happens with Jim or whatever, I, I can only, I can only worry about my own backyard. And I can tell you that I work at a place that is different than any other place that I've heard of or been exposed to. It's still very much a family feel at Fox. And I've been there since I was 20. I got hired at 24 and did my first games at 25. I I just, I don't know. I don't look at this business that way. And, and so, you know, whatever happens in the future, I don't know, but uh, I'm just content as I sit here talking to you and, it've been nothing but great to me so whatever transpires transpires but i can't control a lot of that
0: true and also i mean it's it's nice to see the field you work in the value of that employment go up right i mean i'd be excited well it's it's harder now i think it's harder now
1: than it's ever been to do live sure events uh, live sporting events and to to be you know considered and I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about Tony in this case or Troy or any of the people that do it. It's not easy and And it's not easy to find a good one. And when you find a good one, you gotta hang on to that person, um, you know, to a degree. and And so, you know, Tony found himself in a perfect position. and uh, you know, good for him. I, but but it's 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 not an easy gig. And I think people just believe that we kind of just show up and just start talking and you know we're all dumb and we all make mistakes and we're all you know we don't know anything about anything but i'm telling you it's i think people would freak out with the the clutter and the chatter that goes on behind the scenes and trying to kind of wade through all that and do the games um it's 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 a different type skill and that's why the same people have been doing it for a long long time
0: when you hear rumors about troy you know like oh maybe he'll be a gm you know maybe he'll leave the booth do you ever think like i wonder i would think two things like do you think oh man when mccarver left i had a few booths there it wasn't as easy yeah i'm great with smoltz now but i remember that transition that wasn't great i don't man i wouldn't want to love to have to do that in football again or you know or is there someone you think of like man well maybe it would be great if troy's you know the gm of the cowboys that would be really cool to work with this guy then it opened up like you, when you hear these rumors you just think ah troy's my guy he'll be with me if he's not we'll worry about that or like what's your what's your mindset when you when you hear something like that no it's funny because yeah that that couple different off seasons and it are actually toward
1: the end of each season it's happened twice now and it happened this last year where that kind of started picking up steam again i i am guilty of going right to the source <laughs> this being troy right and now. going you don't want to do that you don't want to live and die with salary caps right. and winning and losing and fan bases you know wanting Remind you to make how good this your move gig is. And- yeah I'm like, come on, man. We're, we're flying around doing these games. We get along. We actually really like each other, and we enjoy it. And so I am recruiting. I am If Fox wants to keep him, and I know they do, I'm their best recruiter to try to keep him from doing it. At the same time, I want him to be happy, and I want him to do what he wants sure. to do, and I want him to be challenged. And if he feels like that's the next frontier, I, I couldn't blame him because he's seen other guys do it and have success at it. And I think those guys that are competitive like that always want some semblance of competition in their lives. Uh, but yeah, I trust me, I, I run right to him. I'm like, come on, you don't want to do it. I know Jacksonville's got a lot of salary cap <laughs> space, but come on, we got a pretty damn good here. And, and eventually, you know, we, we end up laughing about it. Sure. So I, called
0: Jimmy Johnson. Hey Jimmy, can you remind Troy what it was like to work for Jerry Jones? <laughs> yeah, or, <laughs> yeah, right, whatever. or going down talking, to Miami.
1: Yeah. Or I mean, yeah. you know, these are these are. It's it's a big, it would be a big shift, but again, I mean, if I would he and I've been together for I don't know what it's been eighteen years, something like that, which is pretty rare in today's world, um, broadcasting world. So, you know, we've been together a long time. We've we've uh, been through a lot. In the booth, out of the booth. We both have daughters, and we've watched them both both sets grow up and uh, kind of get out of the nest. And so we've got a lot of shared experiences that way. But, again, I, I, I root for him on the air. I root for him off the air. I, I want him to do what he wants to do. But, God, I, I don't want to lose the man.
0: <laughs> I don't blame you. All right. Um, looking forward to the Hall of Fame yeah that'll be fun i mean I, I think it's
1: the only thing i can I keep falling back on and saying about going in uh getting that award, which is different than than sure. kind of going yeah. in to the all fame is that my mom saw the announcement and was watching it when it happened, and I think it meant more to her to know that I was joining my dad, her late husband, in there with that same award um that's awesome, and that she's yeah. around to see that. Yeah. And and, you know, being able to be in Canton at that time where it's going to be basically two classes, one of which is a big class Peyton. Uh, going in. Yeah. yeah. I yeah, mean, it, it, it'll just be fun. It'll be fun to yeah. be kind of a fly on the wall. I mean, I, I know my place uh, at that ceremony, which is, you know, I'll, I'll have a table in the coat room uh I'm, I'm probably won't even be anywhere on the main dining room but uh just to be around it will be cool and to to be able to say that you know my dad's a recipient of that and now i am and and my mom uh got to see all that that that's the best part
0: you'll be in the felt forum and the the ceremony will be in the garden right like that kind yeah. of
2: exactly
1: <laughs> i'll be in the uh i'll be in the ante room and uh i might they might even give me the wrong day if one <laughs> this stuff happens i don't
0: even know i remember when jim Kelly went in like i don't know how many people from buffalo went to canton for it and you know i'm pretty sure this is it for breeze and you know like i already told my wife like five years from now babe like it's gonna be i like it's something as a fan i think sometimes stuff like that like when pearl jam went in you know whatever i think it's maybe more to fans for some reason but
1: All right. I agree. I mean, I I think I no, but, but that's a good point. I I think, you know, on my really, really, really small level, it means like so much to my daughters and it means so much to my wife and it means so much to my mom and my sister. Yeah. It's for
0: your people in a way. Yeah. I mean, for
1: me, I, it doesn't change the way I think and it doesn't change what I think of myself or it doesn't feel like, ah, I just got to the top of Everest and. I mean, I think you'd be a jerk if you thought that way. But but if if it provides a moment for all of us to kind of exhale and go, man, this has been some ride. Then you know, for you as a fan, for Drew or you know Jim Kelly and those people that just love and adore for great reason to be there to celebrate this great career and all those wonderful memories that those two players that you just highlighted have brought people, then that's that's awesome and that's really what it's about it's about it's about the fans as much as it, as it is about the player
0: and i know i think for bills fans like it was their guy was there fine you know like it was that was their guy like a lot of lean years i remember when i went as a kid it was like there was oj there you know and off and jack kemp and that was it you know, right. I mean? like, for, you know what i mean like and for for a saints fan like this is our guy like our guy's okay. gonna be there i don't know no,
1: I, I was just saying, I, I was making a joke and then it cut out. I said, I got bad news for you. I, I hear that Breeze is going in as a charger.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that, wow. He might. Yeah, he might. He's a lot of, a lot of great years there compared to the New Orleans for sure. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Very last thing. I'll let you out of here on this. I was asked to be on another podcast and the topic was making Mount They It's called making Mount Rushmore the show and it was play by play men and color men so i'm going to give you mine i want you to critique mine and then you can tell me what you change or add all right so yeah for color men i had madden mccarver joe morgan and harry neal and then for play-by-play i had jack buck Vince scully howard cosell and bob cole and bob cole and harry neal if you don't know like they were the number one team on cbc hockey night in canada for like 30 years you know and as a hockey guy on the show i felt the need to give those guys a run yeah Yeah. well
1: but but isn't that kind of what it is isn't mount rushmore when everybody does the mount rushmore thing isn't it really mount rushmore to you oh absolutely yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. and so you know that that's but you want to be legit too you
0: want to be legit too like you don't want to like i wouldn't have rolled up there and said well you know i'm gonna put uh um you know i'm gonna put this regional sports guy who worked three years for the Carolina hurricanes, but I really liked his style, you know, like you want to bring a strong list too, you know, out of pride.
1: Yeah. But, but I do think that's kind of what makes it interesting is that who, who made an impression on you and it depends on in some cases, how old you were and and what was going on in your life and how your team was playing and you know, whatever uh, that, that makes a dent um, in your life. I mean, I, I like both your lists and, and I think, First of all, thanks for having my dad on there. I think it's varying styles of, uh, you know, doing play-by-play or doing color analysis. I mean, there's only one John
0: Madden, you know, and when I think of Mount
1: Rushmore. Yeah, I mean, when, when I think of Mount Rushmore, I think of the guys that fall into the category of there's only one of that guy. And, and and maybe in John's case, not only was there only one, but he really changed. He, he became a star as and, and kind of had that transcended the know, job. Transited. Every yeah, yeah. He was that every man kind of quirky way of looking at things and highlighting snot hanging off somebody's face mask, and <laughs> you know had had a way about him. He wasn't you know totally polished. Yeah, it was yeah. it was just kind of his own language which made it fun. And uh so I yeah, that's great. I mean, it's weird for me to pick Mount Rushmore. I mean, I I will I'll just do play by play guys, and obviously I would put my dad mm. on that list. Um and I would put Vin and I would put uh Al Michaels um on there.
0: And um Keith Jackson, I put Harry, Harry there. Harry, Gary. Okay, good. You got the big, the big three baseball. Uh, you know, class yeah. Guys. I just, yeah.
1: I think the everyday guys and the guys that that kind of transcended their team or their network or their whatever it might be. And and Harry, you know, my God, my dad was in a booth with two other Hall of Famers back. You know, with the Cardinals, it was my dad and Harry and Joe Garagiola, which is about as good a booth as there ever has been in the history of time. Um, but, you know, Harry had a personality and a persona that was larger than life and um, kind of did it his own way. I just don't know that there's room for like all that anymore. You know, like kind of being that dynamic or being that kind of personable or right. being that wide time. open. It's just a different time. Yep. And so that doesn't mean it was better. It's just different, and and so yeah. I mean, those would be the ones, and and I I just marvel still at Al and how good he is, and how precise he is, and how
0: much he loves it. Um. So the, the yeah, that would be my group. I had ten guys honorable mention, so it was really you know really hard for me. You know, like. What's well, so subjective?
1: I yeah. mean, you couldn't look at. Yeah, I mean, we didn't Summer talk Raw about Marv Albert, Marv Albert,
0: Brent Musburger, Keith Jackson. Yeah,
1: I mean, you could go on and yeah. on and on. Gary Keith Thorne, Jackson, and.
0: Yeah, it just yeah. Dick it, it's almost
1: impossible.
0: Right, Dick, Dick Enberg.
1: I mean, yeah, these are all these are all the same people that I would pick. So um, it's it's hard to limit it. it. It's 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 hard to limit it to just four.
0: All right, Joe, I have lingered long enough. Do you have any questions for me? No, I'm good. Okay. I didn't think I'm you good. would. I didn't think you would. I'm good. Thank you. I appreciate this.
1: Uh, all right, and, let's and,
0: see if there's a sixth visit. And, hey, publicly, I have to say, too, thank you for helping me with that field pass. I mean, I got to meet Drew Brees because of you. So you're forever – I'm forever in debt to your – what was the line from the Nirvana song? I can't remember. Thoughtless advice. That doesn't make sense in this case. but I I just – here's the thing. Yeah. I held
1: my breath that entire day (laughs) because I felt (laughs) like at some point I was going to get – I was going to get in trouble. And the guys (laughs) set it up, like, Hey, they just wrestled somebody to the <laughs> ground and he's has been that. handcuffed and he's been uh, airlifted to the nearest jail because he just <laughs> accosted through Breeze and it's on <laughs> your tab. So thank I you for, for representing me well.
0: Yeah, I stayed out of the way, stayed quiet, and I was off the field by 1230. You know, I wasn't trying to. mad a boy. Yeah, trying to do anything And I got my picture. And it, it's like I'm not a picture guy. You know, but when Drew Brees walks up to you after he's doing his thumb injuries or his thumb exercises on the field, he's like, "Hey, you, yeah, you want a jersey sign? You want pick him mean, He walked pretty much right up to me because it was it was early. There, was well, there a lot of go. People out there, yeah, So sweet. Thank this you. Your day. Thank you. You're the man. Yeah. Well, thank you. No, I'm serious. Thank you for not getting me in trouble. <laughs> well, thank you for trusting me to not be the guy who would get you in trouble because I'm, nah, I'm not I, that I, guy. I felt good about it. Although I do got I my good I that. do have my PR team right now combing over the uh, early portions of this interview to see what we can uh yeah pump see into what, the mailbox click baby. yeah we got to find something yeah okay <laughs> good luck all right man thank you good
1: luck people are tired of writing about me for the month so i think i'm good all right thanks buddy all right all right, all right. see you thanks
0: So, could have use a few pounds? Tight pants, points, hauling it down. She was a black hat beauty with big dark eyes. And points all her own, Sudden way up high. Way up firm and high. I'd pass the cornfields when the winds got heaven. Out of the back seat, All right, I want to thank Joe Buck. For being on the podcast today. Appreciate that. Al Stracken's next. We'll get to him in a minute. First, quickly, let's update the book club because we're saying goodbye to Al's book today. Uh, Of course, that book is called Hockey's Hot Stove, the untold stories of the original insiders. And, of course, the original insiders were on CBC's Hockey Night in Canada. After 40 minutes, it was a roundtable of insiders, and Al and I... I'm going to talk about the book and about being on the panel and about hockey in general, including his relationship with Wayne Gretzky. And again, this was recorded before the death uh, of Walter Gretzky, so no discussion of that. Uh, With that said, we have a new book today, uh, and I'm really looking forward to this one because I always love kind of when we switch topics a little bit That's always fun for me, you know, to go from a hockey book to a music book, which is what we're going to do in this situation. And the book has two authors. I'm just trying to bring it up here. It's called Nothing But a Good Time, The Uncensored History of 80s Hard Rock Explosion. And it's by Tom Bojour and Richard Beinstock. And I've talked to Richard and talked to the publisher And we'll have an interview with Richard and Tom, and we will have three books to give away. So if you're interested in a copy of the book, sportscasters at gmail.com. A little bit about it. It says Hard Rock in the 80s was often intensely creative wellspring of escapism that perfectly encapsulated and even helped define a spectacular over-the-top decade. Um, So the book's all about the music and the decadence and the excess. Uh, There's interviews with people from Van Halen and Motley Crue and Poison, Guns N' Roses, Skid Row, Bon Jovi. I'm looking forward to this one. Again, nothing but a good time. The Uncensored History of the 80s Hard Rock Explosion by Tom Beaujour and Richard Beinstock. And uh, they have copies in the mail to me. And when I get them, I will have copies in the mail to you. Email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com, and I will hook that up. All right, with that said, let's take a break, and we will be right back with Al Strachan.
1: 42 years is an awfully long time.
0: i Next guest today is a member of the original Insiders and a panelist on the Hockey Hot Stove after 40 minutes on CBC. He's also the author of a book about Wayne Gretzky called 99 Gretzky and was told once by someone in the Oilers organization that he was the Wayne Gretzky of hockey writers. He's making his debut on the show today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Al Strachan. Hello, Al. How are you doing today?
3: I'm great. Thanks. How are you doing?
0: It's always great to have a Hall of Famer on the show. You know, anytime I can get someone in the wing of the Hall of Fame, the writer's wing of the Hall of Fame, I'm a happy guy. So it's good to have you.
3: <laughs> you think writers should be in the Hall of Fame?
0: Sure. I think there should be a a, a place for that. Now, if it uh, was if it was a situation where, say, over, like the NFL or Major League Baseball, think, whatever, whatever the rules are, say you only have five a year and one of the five are writers, eh, maybe not. A special recognition? Absolutely. Why not? Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, I, just, I I don't think people go to the Hall of Fame to see hockey writers, especially because most of them have been forgotten anyway. It's, it's a very passing kind of enterprise is sports writing. I mean, you can read books written in the earlier part of the century by historians or by fiction writers or whatever, but, you know, who goes back and reads sports books from 1920? You know, <laughs> so I don't know. It just, I, I, the only reason that I went along with it was for my sons who like to take, people up there and say hey there's my dad well, <laughs> but I if think... you've ever been to the picture in the hall of fame they don't look anything like the people who have it anyway so <laughs> I, think I that's suppose the thing. it's nice
0: but you don't go there for it but when you get there and it's there it's a nice thing to see you know what I mean it, especially you know a yeah. Buffalo guy growing up I learned to read to read reading Jim Kelly you know like I specifically my, oh, yeah. Yeah. my, my parents yeah. said hey if you can learn to read this you can find out on every Sunday who the Sabres might trade for and I was like really yeah he did a good job
3: a very good job and it's too bad he passed away so soon was a good friend of mine and he he was a a funny guy and enjoyable to be with and uh used to i always think of him when i went to his house and he was like everybody else the the remote always gets lost or under a pile so he had it attached to a hockey stick (laughs) (laughs) he he couldn't lose the remote
0: (laughs) i love it yeah He's actually been gone 10 years already, which is a, Is an, it really? Yeah, an oh an, my lord. Amazing thing to think and I heard a great yeah. I heard a great story, you know, he had his classic uh dustin with uh with uh, Dominic Kasich. Kasich. and um when he was getting towards the end the Buffalo News was doing some kind of you know, greatest sabres of all time thing and the, Mike uh, Harrington was kind of collecting the votes and there was one last vote to uh, be counted and it was um it was Jim Kelly's and, and Mike didn't really want to, you know, press him for it because he knew he wasn't feeling well, obviously. But the thing was, is that the tie for the greatest saber, there was a tie for the greatest saber of all time. So they needed his vote. So it's either going to be Perot or Hasek based on what Kelly wrote. Well, to save time, Mike decided to start writing up a lead on Perot because he knew based on the history that, oh, Jim Kelly's going to vote for Perot, no doubt. And he finally gets yeah. him on the phone and he says, no, nope, I voted for Hasek. You know, I, yeah, he said he was the guy that, you know, was the best player and I couldn't let, you know, what happened between us get, get in the way of it. So I guess kind of a cool story I thought about. about Yeah, it is. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I'm not sure. I I think I might lean towards Perot because he was there in, in the darkest day that he was the, the start and, and. And that line with René Robert and Martin, and yep. they, they led the way. They went to the Stanley Cup Finals in, what was it, 74? 75, 75
0: against the Flyers, yep.
3: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was, you know, I always think of the, the fog match. I was there for that, and when Jim Lorenz was happy, yeah. yeah, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And Perot was the center of it, and Hushik came along later, and yeah, he was a great goalie, but as far as being a great saver and what he meant well, to the community, he also I would went have to a cup. Perot.
0: You know, Perot also went, or excuse me, Hushik yeah, also went to a cup in, in '99, won a few MVPs, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think the argument. I guess for Hasek is that when you look at his position, you could argue he's the greatest goaltender of all time. Don't know that you can argue Perot's the greatest center.
3: So no, that's true. That is true. So yeah. That
0: yeah. might have been what, what he was thinking. Uh, I love the book. The book is called – let's get it out. We'll mention it a few different times. But the book is called Hockey Hot Stove, The Untold Stories of the Original Insiders, and Growing Up Here in Buffalo. Uh, I am a long, long time Hockey Night in Canada watcher because we got it over <laughs> the air here. You know, it was yeah, a but... channel that, whether our family was doing good and we had cable or we were doing bad and we didn't, uh, we could always watch, you know, Hockey Night in Canada on CBC. And I yeah. did. And I was a huge uh, Pavel Bure fan and um, loved to get home on a Friday night. Uh, whether I was working or had out my own hockey or whatever, and uh, getting into bed and putting CBC on and um, hoping that Burray and the Canucks were in that second game of the doubleheader. But um, after 40 minutes, certainly in the hockey hot stove, uh, was also a highlight because, you know, especially in the beginning, and you make this point in the book, you know, it's not like we had hockey rumors on the Internet 24-7 no. like we do today. You know, turning on Hockey Hot Stove to find out what the rumors were uh, leading up to the trading deadline. That's where I found out the rumors. Either that or Jim Kelly's column, like I mentioned, uh, his Inside the NHL column on Sundays. That that's where I went for it, and I think that is what makes it so endearing and and great is that people don't realize that this you know existed in a time where um, that's where you got those kind of that kind of news, right?
3: They were not only rumors, and there were rumors. We used to try and make the differentiation because we didn't want it tagged as just Sort of stuff that people had made up so we would say well you know this is a rumor that's that's going around and that was something that you'd heard but we'd also broken off a lot of stories we said this is going to happen this guy they are trying to move this guy or whatever and uh here's the offers and here's what this guy wants for a salary or this is his latest girlfriend etc all those kind of things were factual as well so What we really tried to do, and John Shannon, the guy who put the show together, was break down the barrier between the viewer and the viewed so that people who were watching it could feel that they were sort of the part of the conversation and they were listening to an inside hockey discussion, and we tried to make sure that... All those things were as accurate as could be. And if they weren't accurate, then we said, well, this is a rumor. people like the rumors as well. And we didn't need to make them up. I mean, there was just so many of them. And the lifestyles that we lived, all the people on the panel just uh, lived and breathed hockey, basically, sometimes to the detriment of the family life. But, you know, we all traveled around. We all knew pretty well everybody in hockey. We certainly knew anybody who was worth knowing in hockey. And in many cases, it was the reverse of what happens when you break into hockey as a reporter, writer, whatever. You go into a room and and you know who these guys are but they don't have any clue who you are. And it got to the point where we would walk in a room and these guys knew who we were, and we didn't know who they were if they were younger players coming up. You know, you'd have a player come up and say, I had had no idea who he was, you know. And that sort of stuff, (laughs) because the players never missed it either, you know, to the point that... um, those Western games that you talk about, the ones with Burry and that the players started insisting that they do their pregame up at a time that would allow them to get off the ice in order to watch that show. Cause nobody right. ever wanted to miss it. And they all watched it. And the referees watched <laughs> it in the lines. Everybody in hockey watched that show.
0: And it's funny. You talk about how I said rumors too, cause I was watching one last night and it was a post trade deadline one. And I think it was either JD or Houston were going on about how, they were so annoyed with rumors and rumors, oh, yeah. and then you came in, and you're like, well, no, you see what happens is is there are all these deals, but then they get another guy, so then those deals don't happen, and it was interesting. You guys were kind of battling on the show about whether or not they were rumors or, or how to deal with rumors, so that's pretty interesting, some of the old yeah, well, ones see, that are out there.
3: Houston was a little bit different in that he was just attached really to that one team and he was sort of stuck out on the west coast where the others of us traveled all around and so Huey didn't really meet that many other people on a regular basis he too of course was known by everybody and he knew all the GMs that, but he wouldn't see them as often as we would and it wasn't his job to call him up all week long to talk to the coaches and GMs in different cities and, uh, and so he didn't like it that we did all these things, but I think he was—he was a really nice guy. I don't really mean to criticize him, but he wasn't uh, really like the rest of us. I think I characterize it as being the book, and that he—he was—he uh, was like an Irish setter in a pit bull conference. You know, it's—it's
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting too, because I was thinking about Rod McClain last night, and I was thinking about his job on a Saturday night, like first he's got to try to keep Don Cherry on task and keep that thing, right? And every time it'd be, how much time do I got left? What? You know, and then then he gets a little bit of a break. And then after the second period, it's, you know, moderating this panel, you know, three, four guys all over the country, you know, not the same technology we have today either. And we got people in Montreal, Vancouver, New York, Toronto, all over. It was really an incredible job what Ron did, right?
3: It was, and that technology that you mentioned was new when that show started. I mean, it's not uncommon these days. You can watch those guys on TSN and uh, ESPN and everything, and they have those boxes and different guys here and there. But when we started that, John Shannon started that, that was new, and people were amazed that we could do that. And it wasn't easily done because you had to get all these separate feeds and put them all together, and sometimes, as I mentioned in the book, you're you know in a little Bob's Organic TV studio in the remote area of Denver or something, and and you're putting this together, and they're trying to get hooked up with the guys in Toronto, and JD's coming from New York, and Hughie probably from Vancouver, and you know you put all this together, and and it was a technological marvel that they did it. It came very close a couple of times to not doing it, but we always managed. But McLean's job. Changed. Changed substantially over the years. And in the beginning, uh, when John Shannon set it all up, he was supposed to just be a traffic cop was Ron. He was just supposed to say, you go next, you go next, you go next, that sort of thing, just like moving the cars along. But then as it went on, he more and more wanted to become one of the drivers himself, and he started getting involved. And so we used to just get involved with him and so it would sometimes side with two people on one side and two on the other and ron would go with the guy who was outnumbered at the time and uh and he was very clever with his puns and he was quick-witted and everything but i, I think at the end towards the end he sort of started to get kind of bored with uh not having a more significant role so he just took a significant role and and it didn't make anybody or everybody happy and especially somebody like Eric the Hotcheck who was no doubt the hardest worker of our group, and would come in with enough stuff to fill a half hour, and and we've only got eight minutes, and we got to split it four ways or three ways at least, four ways if Ron was deciding to stick it, and and didn't get to stuff, and and we would go to Ron before and say, here's all the things we've got, and sometimes we didn't get to it because of uh, his idea of what we should be talking about, and he brought up things that we had no intention of talking about, nor any desire to talk about sometimes. <laughs> And so there there got to be a little bit of a conflict at the end, but you'd never know it by watching it on TV, I don't think.
0: I was watching one last night, and so you guys are talking about the, the crease rule. Uh, John Davidson has all these different scenarios about if this happens, is it a goal or not? If this ha- and you're all over it. You're like, yep, yep, no, yep. You're you're, you're, you're just nailing him, right? <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> and it gets to the end of the conversation and i'm not it might have actually it might have been uh Houston who says we could not have the Stanley Cup decided on this rule and then oh yeah two years later yeah. right down the street from me in buffalo it truly yeah. was right i mean that's it the kind was. and that's yeah. the kind of things that happened on this thing i mean you guys were all over it i got I, yeah, you know
3: I don't remember that show, but I don't doubt that I'll it I'll send you the happened. link. Yeah,
0: I can send you the link to that one because I just watched it last <laughs> night.
3: I want to be reminded of those <laughs> shows. I look back at my uh, droopy mustache. And oh, you had the mustache
0: going for sure. You had it going for sure. Grammy glasses yeah.
3: <laughs> and... It reminds me of when I had hair and things like that, you know. Stuff that, stuff that uh, but some of them are on uh, on YouTube, I guess you can. I know the the one I was looking at on YouTube not that long ago. It just epitomizes what I was saying before about Ron because he would say, "Okay, here's what we're going to discuss: A, B, and C," and we're going to start with JD or Erica, whatever. And then he starts this one by asking me something. And I say to him right off the bat, I say, what, you're starting with me? <laughs> you know, Because he had said the exact opposite.
0: You know, so, you know it, it was interesting. I was thinking, though, because as I was reading the book and reading about the conflicts and stuff, the A-Team, right? The, you remember the show The A-Team with Mr. T and George Papard? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like legendary that these guys didn't like each other. And I'm not saying you guys didn't like each other or whatever, but especially Mr. T and George Papard, There's this conflict. Who's the star of the show? Whatever. But the show, the guy, when you watch it, the guy just had this unbelievable chemistry. And I'm reading this book yeah. and I'm hearing about this off screen and this off screen and then I'm watching them as I'm reading, you know, old ones on YouTube, and I'm like, man, no matter what was going on, you know, like if I'm reading say about ninety six and oh, this producer off the screen and then I, I watch one from ninety six, I'm like, Man, despite what's going on, when those eight minutes were on and the lights were on, the chemistry <laughs> yeah. was unbelievable. It's like the you know, like you said, the whole hockey world stopped and watched it.
3: It was, and I think people love to read it. I think it's one of the attractions of the book. When we decided to do this, we being Simon and Schuster, because it wasn't really my idea, they came to me, and I said, you know, I don't know, do you think people are going to be interested in, in this? The show hasn't been on for a while and everything. Said, oh, it's like show business. People are always interested in what's going on behind the scenes, whether it's in the White House, whether it's on TV, or whether it's a movie, or whatever the case is. What was really going on that we didn't get to see? We know enough about these people and is tantalizing we'd like to know more and so that's what we did we you know put some of the gossip in there but we always had an adherence to that old show business Axiom that the show must go on. And as I mentioned in there, one time Scott Morrison and I were bawling our eyes out with tears running down our faces and everything before the show. And then we go on and laugh and smile, and people don't know what is going on. And, you know, sometimes you got a toothache or whatever. You know, something in a couple of cases, not mine at that point, you know, some marital problems and stuff. But you don't
2: that sure. The yep.
3: fancy that particular part, but it, it is there, and, and then you write about it, and people are gratified because they got to find out something that was going on that they didn't know about. People were always <laughs> a little bit voyeuristic in a way, and they want to know what happens with the other guys, so we try and present that.
0: Just out of a coincidence, not too long before I found out about this book and approached the publisher about having you on, I had read 99, Gretzky, His Game, His Story, uh, kind of mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, and your relationship with Gretzky is kind of legendary. He trusted you, and oh, yeah. um, and how, like how important was that to just your career in general? And and how how did you how do you get to a point where you know you're kind of uh, you know I think Ahmad Rashad was the guy that Jordan trusted, you know, and you're yeah. you're kind of that. You're the guy that 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 '99, the man, the main guy. Like you're the yeah. guy he trusts.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. This this is probably the last interview I'm going to do on this book because it's been out a little while now, and people have asked me that question before, and I, I sort of dodge it and say, well, you know, partly um, it's because when I started writing about him, his father liked some of the columns I wrote. But the people, somebody in the, well up in the Edmonton Oilers explained it to me when he said, He said, because you're the Gretzky of sports writing, of hockey writing. And uh, so maybe that's what it was. That's incredibly immodest, I know. (laughs) But uh, I think it's uh, the answer to the question that we would talk about Mostly hockey when we were out, but not only hockey. And you know, we had a lot of laughs, and we just became very, very good friends. You know, I played golf with him, dined with him very many times, and had drinks with him, and know the family and all that sort of stuff. And uh, and he's living near me here now, and we're probably going to be playing golf in the not too distant future because uh, Dustin Johnson lives just down the road a little bit and that's where Gretz is going to be setting up and that sort of stuff because his grandchildren are here and it just yeah we just became friends and then the the fact also that if you think of his lifestyle it was basically hockey and he couldn't go out too much and so during the day he would sit around in his hotel room in the afternoon they have a nap of course but that still leaves plenty of time between the morning skate and the Evening game even with the nap, and so he'd get on the phone and, and he'd chat and and the great currency in the National Hockey League among those people is gossip. You know the the stories, some of them rumors or whatever, or or the stories that haven't been spread yet that the, that somebody like me got to know, and so we could pass things back and forth. And then he had this currency to deal with when he was uh, talking to other players, and you know I mentioned in there that the way that it worked was we would go with the players many times after the games, for, to the bars, you know, or maybe yeah. the night before, but not the. And and you get to hear all kinds of stories that you don't get to see now when they're asking these sanitized questions about did you like the fact that you got three goals tonight and that sort of stuff. And we get the whole story, the real story of who hated the coach and why the GM was such a dimwit and on and on and which players they didn't like. Everything that was going on. And then you go back to them the next day because you don't use that stuff just unfiltered. And you'd go back and say, you know, what about that? And there were three options. they say, yeah, go ahead and use it. I don't care. Or B, you can use it, but don't put my name on it. Or C, no, do not use that. Right. that is, that's between us. That's you know, bar It's not stuff, for yeah. publication. <laughs> yeah. But those ones, the latter ones, now you could still trade them with somebody else. He could still go to somebody in a different town and say, here's what's happening here. And you know that it's true because you got it from somebody else, but you never printed it. And uh, But now he's got a good story. And then he would say, well, did you hear about this? And so, so you know, it's sort of like a trade-in on a news car. You trade an old bit right. of gossip for a new bit of gossip and stuff like that. Well, I think, so I think those it was, things were very valuable.
0: I think it was Roy McGregor, when he was on, was saying that, like, Jim Kelly would call. I know we mentioned him a few times already, right? but Jim Kelly would call him during the week and say, hey, I got my Sunday column. You got anything where you are, you know, or whatever. Oh, yeah. 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 And that's kind of how yeah. it was. Let me ask you a couple more about Gretzky because Gretzky is so fascinating. But what was the difference when you would talk to him, say, after Steve Smith or after, you know, the Iserman goal, you know, in double overtime or something versus, you know, after game six in L.A. in 93 or game seven in the Maple Leaf card. I think game six is the one he says is his, his best game, or is it seven? I think he says is his best game, and in, in the Maple Leaf Garden in '93, you know, getting the hat trick yeah. and, and a fourth yeah. fourth point as well. What, what's the difference between him and, and those moments? Is was there a, was there a certain Gretzky you could expect in both spots? Was was he the same? What what was it like dealing with him in opposite ends of the emotional spectrum?
3: Well, he was usually just pretty straightforward after the game because there would be quite a mob there, and and he would just give the pretty common answers. But later on, then he would would tell me what was really going on. And just a quick example that I might think of, that one where uh, they – he went in, and he scored in Calgary in game two when they were heavy, heavy underdogs, and they won the first game, then game two, and it goes into overtime, and they're shorthanded, and he goes down the left side and blasts that shot over Vernon's shoulder. And
0: yep, I can picture it. And,
3: yep. uh, and that, he thought that was one of the best shots he ever let go. And, you know, so he afterwards, he talked to people like here then he told me afterwards, he said, you know, he said, I never, ever do this. But he said as I skated around behind the bench, there the guy who runs the Zamboni was sitting there, and I yelled at him, "You can take the ice out now, Chris. There won't be any more games here this year." <laughs> and that was only after game two, you know. And so he he says things like that that are, you know, he's an honest person, and like anybody else, he has an ego and everything. But he he's always very careful about the way he acts in public and what he says and what he does. But. Uh, when you get alone with him, he, you know, he has a tremendous comprehension of the game and, and a tremendous comprehension of what it's like to be a, a really high-quality major leaguer. But you remember when they caught Sammy Sosa with the court back? Sure, yeah. And and there was a great debate going on about whether he knew or didn't. He always said he didn't know. You know.
0: Yeah, he had that and, one for the uh, fans and – in bad practice, and yeah, yeah, and, picked it up by mistake. And, yeah.
3: uh, and I said to Gress, I said, you know, maybe he didn't know. He said, Al, he knew. <laughs> He's the professional player. He knows when he puts that bat in his hand, whether it's a good bat or it isn't a good bat. He said he knew. <laughs> you know." And, right. the, and plus, he understands yeah. just the way that an athlete knows and, and has that comprehension of the game. So,
0: Did you ever talk to him about not, being picked to shoot in the shootout in 98 other, oh, yeah yeah what were his thoughts yeah. on that
3: he says that he thought that um it was the result of a misunderstanding and um he the one thing he never ever ever does and and i mentioned that in there is criticize a coach and uh, he's had some run ins. Robbie Fatoric was one of them. Robbie Fatoric benched him for breaking his stick over the crossbar once uh, because he'd made a mistake and a goal was scored. And in frustration, he slammed his stick and, and Robbie uh, benched him, of all things. Robbie Fitorik, Jeez, that. Liz, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so he, he never said anything about that. He just said it's the coach. And then one time, even when Robbie just started, we were a training camp in victoria dc and uh he and i and tony gallagher from the vancouver province were out having a few beers and and uh it was training camp for pete's sake first day i think and um it's getting to be 10 30 or something like this and gret says i gotta go so what do you mean gotta go well he said robbie's got a curfew I said, well, it's Robbie for Tory. You know, you could have another beer. think? <laughs> <laughs> you think he's going to cut you? He said, no, the coach said that's the time. So said, and, and he was always, always like that. So he would never be critical of Mark Crawford, although when he and Crawford were growing up, they were the same age, and they were playing in the Ontario, and it was... Crawford was just as much of a phenom as Gretz was, but obviously uh, only one of them blossomed. And right. there was always, uh, always really that sort of animosity on Crawford's part. But, uh, what happened was Gretzky was having a, um, a massage and the, the assistant coach, uh, was in the room and they were just talking about the possibility of a up just a few days before. And, uh, Gretz said, as he always would say, in support of the coach, well, you know if if the coach didn't want to pick me, that's the coach's decision. And so then it got to be interpreted as saying that you know he didn't really care, and uh, he didn't really want to be picked, but that was never what he said. and uh, so I uh, that was that was what that was all about. I and mean, he was upset, obviously, very, very upset but he never publicly upset about it, and uh, he thinks that's how it happened.
0: Do you think we're guilty of forgetting how great he was at this point?
3: Oh, well, I hope not. <laughs> okay. I'm certainly not. When I see the records, because they still pop up every so often right. when – somebody does something that's approaching him, like o- Ovechkin now, they're saying, well, you know, Ovechkin may pass his goals if he goes at a phenomenal rate for a number of years and everything, but when you think about what he actually did and all the assists that go in with the goals and how far ahead he is of number two in any category pretty well, it just say, boy, you know, th- this is like Cy Young's 511 wins. Nobody's going to break this you know 292 <laughs> 11 sure. win
0: nobody's ever getting 293 <laughs> points in a season right i mean that that's forget it
3: the the points were just yeah. uh, incredible and you know in those days when you had pools you could either draft gretzky's goals or gretzky's assist <laughs> you weren't allowed to draft gretzky because that was basically a pool winner right there you right
2: know?
3: <laughs> and uh so yeah and and the the things that he did over the years that I saw him do because I was fortunate enough to work for a newspaper that used to send me wherever the main things in hockey were happening. And especially if they were happening in the West, because I was a fairly quick writer and, and with the deadline, you need to have somebody who can get it in in a hurry. And, and so I was lucky enough to be pretty well, all of his major events. And uh, you know, it's it's one of the highlights of, my profession if not his
0: <laughs> gretzky has the most points in a season 215 obviously and um yeah. he also has the second most in a season the third most and the fourth most yeah. and him and yeah. mario have the 13 most right it's either him or mario in the top 13 so yeah
3: know. well i think there's only only four people that have ever broken the 200 point barrier i think and it was gretzky all four times
0: correct 215 212 208 and 205 yeah. Four times, yeah. The the highest highest player, the the most points in a season by a player not named Mario or Wayne is Steve Eiserman, uh 88, 89, he had one fifty five. I, I just looked at it real quick. I'm not I don't know this off the yeah. top of my head. Well yeah.
3: and that's you know, another aspect with regard to uh Wayne especially is that people sometimes are critical of the policeman slash enforcer profession in hockey, but those people made sure that he didn't get those serious injuries for the most part. Stevie Y was a great player until he smashed up his knee and then he had to come back and change his role. He became more of a utility player. I mean, a guy that you could put on power plays, but could also kill penalties and, and just be a very responsible elite level player, but not a super elite level player because his knee wouldn't do it anymore. And then Mario of course had the yeah. non hodgkins yeah. lymphoma, the cancer and, uh, and so he missed seasons, and uh, but Gretzky, mostly because of uh, Dave Semenko and Marty McSorley, was allowed to play as he could. And the only time he got seriously injured was when Gary Suter ran him from behind and, and cracked the C6 vertebrae in his uh, back uh, in an international game where uh, there's no fighting allowed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one often wonders what Gary Suter would have done if he'd been in a national game because he'd have been picking, or a regular NHL game, sure. he'd picking up pieces of himself, and would he have even tried it? Probably not. Uh, people knew better. All and, right. uh, you know, when you get to be a good friend of Gretz's, you get to be a good friend of the people close to him. Martin Sorley's a very, very good friend as well. We still exchange views now and then. And... Uh, Marty uh, is a a very interesting story. comes from a a family of 10 kids not far from where you live there, uh, just in southern Ontario in that part outside of Hamilton. And uh, it was a a rough life, and he had a rough career, and uh, he had the perfect attitude because if anybody came near Gretzky, he would just go over to the bench and say, guys, this is not happening tonight. And anybody who thinks it should should come over, and, and we'll discuss the matter. And don't forget, I don't care about penalties. That's not exactly the language that he used. Or, <laughs> and, and he said, and I care even less about suspensions. So, if you do it, you may well end up in the hospital, and I don't care. And he didn't. He <laughs> didn't
0: care about laying out Gilmore and having to throw bombs with Wendell Clark either in '93. <laughs> It's maybe the best yeah, well, fight I've G- ever
3: Gilmore, seen. Uh, <laughs> Gilmore, Gilmore head him. Gilmore should have been tossed out of that series, but Gilmore got away with it. And uh, I, I like Dougie too. Dougie's one of my very, very favorite people as well. So uh, that's, that's the problem, you know, when you get to be a, a a person who does that kind of job. People say, "Who's your favorite team?" You know, or are they accuse you of having a favorite sure. team? Either one. You're in say, the bag no, for no, the no. Leafs,
0: sir. You're in the yeah. bag for this team, yeah. Yeah, yeah i
3: have I've got favorite people and uh, sometimes they're playing against each other, but not a favorite team per se.
0: Well, speaking of 93 and your favorites while we're on it one last time, has Gretzky ever admitted to you that he should have got tossed after the high stick? I saw last night there was a uh, someone on uh, TSN did a, like a feature yeah. on it and he's like, oh no, of course it wasn't a penalty. He knows that was a penalty, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. sure. But the, yeah. It, it, it wasn't intentional and nobody saw it. Like the referees. Didn't see it. The, I guess the one referee in those days,
0: Carey Fraser, uh, was Harry the Fraser. Ralph, yeah.
3: and there were two linesmen. They didn't see it. Nobody in the booth saw it. Either Harry Neal or Bob Cole, Cole did not see it. It was, and it certainly, you know, it wasn't in front of Gretzky. It was behind him, right? The stick came off, and, everything. and uh, so you know those things still happen today. I You know, I, I watch games and I, and I see it happen many times in a game. A guy'll go to the bench and he's bleeding because he got clipped with a stick somewhere that nobody sees. I mean, it's just part of hockey.
0: And uh, Thank God they got rid of that rule, you know, that you got to toss a guy for an interview. Yeah. You know, because yeah. Pavel Burry got kicked out of Game 3, Game Three, first Stanley Cup game in Vancouver in 94. He scores a goal on a breakaway in the first minute, and then high sticks, I think it was Jay Wells, of all people, and he's <laughs> out of the game. You know, and he's out <laughs> of the game. <laughs> It's like, oh my God, are we kidding? Um, the sports. Yeah, guys... and
3: they also did away with the ones where it's a follow through as well. Because right. You can't expect a guy to just sort of charge if he follows through and he doesn't know. And yeah, hockey is a rough game; it has a lot of physical contact, and people are carrying these sticks. And sometimes it's very unfortunate. Brian Barrard lost an eye, but uh, host certainly didn't do it intentionally, and shouldn't have been banned from any games. And uh, it is. It was a follow through, and Briar had to be behind. And you know, these things happen, and then that happened. It just astounds me that 25 or more years later now, Leafs fans are still whining about this. Uh, what about uh, you know, <laughs> Those in Calgary? Hurt. Those hurt. Calgary scored uh, a goal that wasn't allowed, and they put the pitcher in the in the Calgary Sun the next day of the puck in the net, but it gone in the corner and come out. And it was never allowed, and that would have perhaps won them a Stanley Cup. And it wasn't as if this was a goal that was disallowed or allowed, or and this was just a penalty. And and so wow, well, an admission that if you if the whole team is playing against us, then we can't beat them. We can only beat them if we if they don't have their star. Is well, to be saying, fair,
0: huh? well to be fair, it was a, a, in a shorthanded situation, so it would have no longer been a penalty. And Gretzky scored to end the game seven seconds after it. I mean, yeah. th- to be fair, <laughs> the
3: game wouldn't have ended that way, but there's no guarantee it would have ended in Toronto's favor.
0: Right. hey, look at you're asking the wrong guy to defend the Leafs. Trust me, as a Buffalo boy,
3: <laughs> <laughs> I've had this discussion with my son, who's every bit as rabid a Leafs fan as you
0: are. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, look at, I hope they never win ever again. So, uh, but <laughs> I think they got. I I understand that those ones sting. Uh, the sports guests yeah. are here with Al Strachan. Uh, his book, Hockey's Hot Stove, The Untold Stories of the Original Insiders. Let me ask you one more for fun. I'll let you go on this. So I mentioned that Roy McGregor's been on. Really kind to me. He's a Tom Thompson expert. We, I had him in one yeah. time, and we broke down the Tragically Hip song, Three Pistols, which is about <laughs> Tom Thompson. He schooled me on that. Uh-huh. But this is what he said, and it tickled me as a Burray fan. He said that the greatest game he ever watched a hockey player play was Burray in the final of the 98 Olympics, which – you no, know, I said to him, "Well, what about the semifinal when he scored five goals? You're saying the best game you ever seen was the final that he played when he didn't score any and they lost one nothing to Hasek." He's like, "Yeah, trust me, it's the best game I ever seen anyone play." So, huh. what say you? What's the best game you ever seen anyone play?
3: Oh, that's that's an awfully tough question. Without
0: <laughs> I know I put you on the, the spot blue,
3: without doing any research just because. Well, just for there fun, so, though. what's one that so sticks many. out? Yeah, what's You're one just, that
0: sticks out? Give us a good one.
3: Well, uh, uh, some of the, the best games I think maybe was the third game of the Canada Cup series
2: where all
3: in, yeah where they yeah. all went six five right and where uh, Gretzky set up Mario for the winning goal there sure. and, yeah. and Dale Howardchuck the late Dale Howardchuck uh, yes. just God sort bless. of hooked the guy that might be going back, and uh, and Murphy was wide open as well, Larry Murphy, and uh, and of course, as Gret said, Murphy had no more chance of getting that pass than my father, who was sitting in the fourth row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: it's going to Mario. <laughs>
3: yeah, but he saw him obviously, and, right. and uh, it was just maybe because it was such the, a culmination of such a tremendous series with. So many things had gone on. That was the first time that Gretzky and Mario became close friends, really. And uh, Mario listened to Wayne, and and uh, they accepted Keenan's responsibilities to, by, you know, just little things, just standing beside him when and starting the practices and things like that. Sort of saying we're we're on this guy's side and we're all in this together. And then, and and how it started in kind of rocky fashion, and then. Wayne and Mario had a chat, and Wayne just laid it out and said, "Look, Mario, you're the scorer. I know what you're trying to do. I, you know, I pass the puck, and you pass it back to me. You know, and you, you're, you're trying to share and all that sort of stuff, and trying to show me that you accept me as I accept you and everything. But, Mario, you are the scorer. When I pass you the puck, you shoot it. I'll get it to you. You just keep your stick in somewhere that it's available, and I'll put the."
0: absolutely well listen this has been an honor for me again the book is called hockey's hot stove the untold stories of the original insiders uh it's available now where books are sold as they say is there anything else you'd want to plug or mention
3: well the gretzky the 99 book i think was awfully good as well that's uh Perhaps my proudest achievement at the moment, and uh, you know, if you are a Gretzky fan, I guarantee you, no matter how well you think you'll know him, you'll find out things in there that you didn't know unless you read the book before.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just and I had just read it, and it is it is great. Um, and like I said, sometimes I feel like we sleep on Gretzky a little bit and how great he was, and that's a good chance to remind yourself, I think, of of how great great Wayne was for sure. You can find out on Twitter; he's at wins. Ford ninety nine, which is always yeah, Winsford. Winsford. Winsford.
3: W i n s f o r d. uh Winsford. Was... That's the address of a uh, house,
0: <laughs> street address. Winsford ninety nine. I was kind of breaking it. Wins Ford. I thought you were. It was a tribute to the uh, the great Ford family of politicians in Ontario. I thought maybe.
3: Uh, no, not quite. Perhaps, <laughs> uh, nor the great Ford family that have done so much things for my Detroit Lions over the years.
0: Right. Yes. Yes, or former U.S. President Gerald Ford. Not him either, right? Yeah.
3: Well, I didn't mind Jerry. He was some Michigan
0: boy, you know, sure, hailed for yeah. the
3: victor's valiant and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So he was okay. Listen now. This
0: this was a thrill for me. Thank you. I appreciate it.
3: Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Good fun. Mm-hmm.
0: I want to thank Al Stracken and Joe Buck for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can find this episode and all episodes of The Sportscasters on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. You can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. Don't forget about my good friend, Peter Winston. Greetings from Allentown. His podcast at GF Allentown pod. New episodes every Thursday. And then usually on the weekend, it's gf allentown live with his friend Keithy. you can find both of those again at gf allentown pod and wherever you listen to this podcast check out adrian dater at a dater on twitter he's doing all things avalanche on the great colorado hockey check that out real quick a few different shows i'm going to be on this week of course you got the sportscasters here later in the week the 24 inch podcast uh, will be released. Uh, it's me and Dave Rollins out in New Jersey. It's at the number two, the number four, the word inch, the word podcast on Twitter, two, four inch podcast and two, four inch podcast at gmail.com as well. Uh, and this week we'll have a show on Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff and his two matches against Hulk Hogan on Saturday night's main event. Uh, so we'll do those uh, this week. Also, I'm going to be on a show on the place to be nation pop feed called Making Mount Rushmore, the one that I mentioned in the interview with Joe Buck. I believe that's released on Monday as well, and that will be about the greatest sports play-by-play man and also the greatest color men. Recorded that last week, had fun doing that. Uh, also on Place to Be Nation Wrestling Feed tomorrow, I'll be on the flagship show with Justin and Scott, and we'll be talking about the... 1991 November 91 MSG show which was right in between Survivor Series 91 and that Tuesday in Texas Uh, and that will be out tomorrow night so four shows for me this week this one the 24-inch podcast later in the week and then the two place to be nation shows tomorrow Uh, one with Justin and Scott and then one with Andy who runs the uh, pop feed and he had me on there with Scott and John D'Amato and Roger uh, the Cowboy. If you know that world, you know those names. And we talk about the Mount Rushmore of announcers. All right. One last thing for me today. And I'm going to keep it a little bit short, not for any reason. uh, But I want to talk about the vaccine because it's my turn uh, to get it. My place in line uh, has been called. Here in New York, I believe we started with frontline workers and then we moved into people, you know, over a certain age, and then that age lowered. And now it's to the point where I don't qualify qualify for the vaccine because of my age, but I do qualify because of my Crohn's disease and the surgeries I've had and that kind of thing. Uh, so I got a letter from the doctor this week, and now it's just a matter of, you know, finding someone who has the vaccine and getting the appointment. And going to get it. And I just wanted to mention it because I know uh, there is some thought about this. You know, people don't want to get it. People do want to get it. And Joe and I were talking about it in the interview earlier. I certainly fall in the camp of absolutely cannot wait to get it. You know, I want to go to a ball game again. I want to go to a concert again. You know, I want to eat without a mask. I want to, you know, be at the grocery store. without. I want just want to go back to life before the pandemic. And I believe that the way to do that is herd immunity and the fastest way to herd immunity is these vaccines. Uh, So as soon as I can get an appointment, I'm going to get the vaccine. And I encourage my listeners to get it as well. But you do what's best for you. Uh, Because I think that's uh, I always think that that's been uh, been the uh, been the way of the of the um, pandemic. You know, it's the will of the people. You know, I never believed in these big lockdowns or some of these rules. I think the onus is on the people. You can make a mask mandate, but it doesn't mean nothing if people don't wear the mask. And I stood still to this day. There's been a mask mandate in New York for months and months, have yet to be somewhere where someone is supposed to have a mask and didn't. So I think that's just a tremendous job by the people. And when it's time for there no longer to be a mask mandate. Maybe there'll be some people who feel more comfortable wearing them. So be it. Um, But I I don't think people who don't want to wear a mask can complain about people who do and vice versa. Same with the vaccine. Do what's best for you. I know that's what I'm going to do. And certainly for me, uh, the best thing is the vaccine. Look at we're talking about medicine and treatments and all that. If I go down, it's not going to be the vaccine that take me down. There's going to be plenty of nasty stuff in my body already. You know, I've had who knows how many CAT scans and x-rays, all the radiation. I don't even want to know. You know, all the anesthesia, the surgeries I've had. It was just the eight year anniversary of my surgery in 2013 and everything they took out of me that day. So I'm just ready to get back, get back to it, you know, especially concerts. It's been over a year since my last concert. Still want to hear those Pearl Jam Gigaton songs live, get over 85 Pearl Jam shows. I just want to get back to it.